Hi, welcome to another episode of the Leadership Enigma. Well, we are storming even closer now to episode 100. I'm going to keep saying that for the next few weeks, aren't I? Now, I have been really looking forward to this episode. The pandemic has been, well, it's been a challenge. And I think each and every one of us has a personal story. And perhaps two odd bedfellows in relation to the pandemic might well be anxiety and gratitude. And how do we reconcile those? And how do we understand those? Well, I really have someone far wiser than myself to talk to us about all things anxiety and gratitude. Chester Elton is on this week's episode. Do I sound excited? Because I am excited. So many accolades. I really, Chester's <laughs> laughing. I don't even know where to start. Seven times Wall Street Journal bestseller. Five times New York Times bestseller. We're going to talk about a couple of his books. He's one of the world's top speakers in relation to leadership and culture. One of the top experts in relation to influencing the HR community. And one of the Marshall Goldsmith 100. Oh, Chester, I'm bound to have forgotten things, haven't I? But this is going to be a wonderful episode. Trust me, you do not want to miss this. Come back to me just after this. During constant change, your leadership has never been more important to create a better and more inclusive world. You're listening to The Leadership Enigma, a podcast for the insatiably curious to explore the power of human-centered leadership to create real momentum for positive and sustainable change. Whether you're an entrepreneur, business owner, or corporate executive, each week we speak to global experts, academics, rising stars, ambitious upstarts, and disruptors as we discover that success leaves clues. Now, here's your host, Adam Pacifico. Well, there we go, Chester. It is a massive warm welcome to you on The Leadership Enigma. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, really an, an honor and a privilege to be here. You know, we've gotten to know each other over a couple of conversations. We have some mutual good friends. And I really look forward to this uh, to this podcast. So thanks for the invitation. Well, it's a pleasure. And, and let, let's just say that you also invited me. We're going to watch Indian Wells tennis next year as well, I think, aren't we? That's a, <laughs> that's a deal that's in the pipeline too. Uh, listen. Well, I, would be, I would expect you to actually be playing at Indian Wells at well, some point. I, bless am, you. I, am I wrong? Bless you. What, one day, who knows? I'll be picking the balls up, if nothing else. Does that go for, <laughs> you know, it, it's taking an active part. It really is. Um, listen, I'm insatiably curious, and you're right. This was actually a very kindly Scott O'Neill, who was on the show a few weeks ago, which was a wonderful episode, kindly put us in touch. Uh, you know, we hit it off straight away. We had a wonderful conversation earlier in the week. And you know the Chester, I am insatiably curious. And you are a man who is going to be able to feed that curiosity uh, because of all of the work that you've done and the bestsellers that you've had. And, and, and we're really going to zone in, aren't we, on anxiety and gratitude. But before we get there, you've had an amazing journey and you really are now one of the most sought after speakers in relation to leadership and culture. How did this all happen, Chester? Tell the listeners a little bit about this journey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, thank you for that. And by the way, a huge Scott O'Neill fan. I was just looking up on my bookshelf. I've got his book, Be Where Your Feet Are. Yeah. If you're looking for a great read, uh, pick that up. I highly recommend I've gifted it to several people. It's it's that good. Uh, my journey, you know, um, I grew up in sales and um, I was looking for a sales advantage, as you do 
You know, I, I, I used to love the expression when people say, well, you want a level playing field. And they go, no, no, you don't. <laughs> you want advantage Chester, you know, the tennis the jargon. Right? We're, we're going to have tennis Chester. references the whole episode. I can see it. I can feel it. That's fine. <laughs> so anyway, I was uh, working for a wonderful company called the OC Tenor Company um, and got to be quite friendly with the, with the CEO. Great guy, uh, Kent Murdoch. Anyway, I'm selling these recognition programs, you know, for long service and sales achievement and yep. so on. It was a really wonderful experience. Well, I had a project with a consulting firm at a pharmaceutical company. I live here in New Jersey and, you know, you can't swing a dead cat without hitting the pharmaceutical company. And <laughs> right. Yes, Adam, that's just an expression. Don't don't try that at home. We won't. Um, so I, I we, we had this interaction where they did this consult around culture and so on, and they needed... Um, an employee recognition strategy. And so I executed the strategy for him. I said, Hey, this is great. We should, we should do this all over the place. I mean, this is really fun and engaging and complimentary. I said, how do I learn more about your company? And the consultant said, Hey, listen, um, let me just send you this book. It's written by our senior VP of international. It was called the talent equation. Right. If I recall correctly. And this was the early days of the internet where you'd, you'd go online and you know, it would take you 10 minutes to sign up. And then you'd go to somebody's website and it was basically a slide with a phone number on it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, here's, here's our company, call this number. Some might say the good um, old days. Right, right. So anyway, so the next day, the guy was brilliant. The next day I get this overnight package with this beautiful hardcover book with a little ribbon around it and inscribed, uh, Chester, enjoy the books. Uh, thank you so much for working with our team and blah, blah, blah. And I thought, this is genius. This is brilliant. So I called our CEO and I said, hey, Kent, told him the story. I said, we should write the definitive book on employee recognition. Nobody's written it. And he goes, ooh, I like that. I said, yeah. So we write the book and then people call us because we're the thought leaders. Yeah. And thought leaders publish. And he goes, oh, I, just, I love this idea. Well, write the book. And I went, <laughs> I don't think you heard me. When I said we write the book, I mean you write the book. And then I benefit from this book, right? right? Advantage Chester, right? Uh, and then he said, and this was the game changer. He said, you know what? You're a smart guy. Figure it out. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? There's the challenge. Now, yeah. And I said, look, I'm not a writer. You give me crushing sales quotas. And this is uh, 1998, dating myself. So for about a year, I play with ideas, you know, titles and chapter heads. And I'm reading all these other books and stuff. And then he calls me back. This is the great leader, right? He calls me back and he says, I've been thinking about that book. I really like that idea of the book. I hired a writer today. His name is Adrian Gostick. He's a writer. You've got great ideas. Introduce yourself to him at the national sales meeting and write the book. So he provided a way forward. So I said, well, sure. So I meet Adrian. Adrian, born in England, yeah. moved to Canada with his, with his family, lived in Montreal and really grew up in Edmonton. So we're both Canadian. I was born in Edmonton, grew up in Vancouver. So we had that hockey thing, right, going on. Hit it off, really liked each other. A year later, the year 2000, we drop a book on Kent's desk called Managing with Carrots. Managing with and basically carrots. it was case studies of our, our best clients. And we had this metaphor of the carrot. That's why I wear, everything I wear is orange. We got a carrot mascot, you know, <laughs> Garrett the carrot, <laughs> named after my youngest son. And, and, uh, and we're off. And Kent was so funny. He goes, I love being CEO. You just say stuff 
and it happens, <laughs> right? I, I want a book and then a book shows up. Well, we didn't know what we didn't know, right? We'd, we'd signed with this little publishing company in yeah. Layton, Utah. They had never done business books before. And Adrian had said, look, you, you get rejected a ton. Well, the first guys we talked to bought the book. <laughs> it was Bingo. hilarious. Yeah. So um, he said, look, all you got to do is buy 5,000 copies. Well, we had this big sales force, 5,000 copies. We easily burn through those. And um, and we're off. And like I said, you don't know what you don't know. Because, yeah. you know, at the time it was like uh, Seven Habits. It sold like, I don't know, 50 million copies or something. Like you know, good to great. Uh, yeah. And on and on. I thought, gosh, if you don't sell a million copies, you're a bum. Well, you know, those Harvard Business School books that you see in the airport all the time. If those guys sell five, 6,000 copies, they're, they're over the moon. They've done well. I didn't know that. I just I looked at that. Oh, the the world of an author, amazing. Chester, the world of an author. Right, right. So anyway, um, we published the book and I think we sold like 35,000 copies. Wow. And we, and well, yeah. Wow. Right. Man, we're, geez, only 35. Our publisher is over the moon. <laughs> like, this is amazing. Right. <laughs> and they said, what's your next book? And we thought, you know, we hadn't really thought that far. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it, it strung a whole uh, bunch of care, you know, uh, managing with carrots, the 24 carat manager, a carrot a day. You're getting a trend here. Right. Um, and we moved from smaller publishers to bigger publishers to the, the biggest publishers. And then along the way, it was so fun because, you know, it's where hard work, you know, meets opportunity. So we, we, we worked really hard at the, our craft of writing. And by the way, Adrian is the writer. Right. And brilliant. And every book we've written is better than the last. I mean, really is gifted. And then I would build the relationships and we'd do all the stuff and we'd collaborate. He was the writer. The one voice, you know, you see those books with like five authors. There's, there's one voice. Okay. If you have five voices, it gets confusing. Right. So, so our salespeople are giving away the book and, and then people say, Hey, love the book. Of course you speak on the book. Right. And we thought genius. We don't, but we do now. <laughs> and see, we had day jobs. Right. So we would go do it. Right. We just do it for free. And we'd go to conferences and we'd say, Ooh, that was good. Ooh, that was good. Oh, that guy. We watched the fish guys and they had these, rainbow colored fish they'd throw at people and they go, that's genius so we made our own little you know fuzzy carrot we'd throw it at people and it was you know a friend of mine um uh, john mcveigh he said um, if you steal one idea that's plagiarism you know that's 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 bad if you steal a whole bunch of ideas that's good solid research right? <laughs> so so we had all these great ideas we put them together and we loved speaking he gave me really and then we said hey we should charge people for our speeches we would then be professional speakers i mean this is you know we're going moving up the rung right and so we we charge whatever and we just kept moving it up until they said uncle right uh, and then we'd go speak and people all oh, love the book oh the speech was so fun love my carrot right uh you have training of course and then we looked at each other and went yes <laughs> of course <laughs> and then you know yeah, I've grown up in Canada, but I've lived in New Jersey now for, you know, 30 years. And in Jersey, you know, it's, there's a Jersey culture and it's very gritty and I, I love it, right? So the guy says, you got training, right? So well, we don't, but you know what? We got to know a guy who knows a guy. Like we got to know a guy who knows a guy, right? Very Jersey. And, yeah, very Jersey, right? So you know, we knew guys in, in and around all over Utah because that's where the company was headquartered. Well, there's 
crucial conversations and Franklin Covey and all these guys, you know. So sure enough, we knew a guy, we knew a guy, and we said, here's the book. It's, oh yeah, listen, this will be great. This is what we do. We take the Covey books and we make training. We can do this for you, you know, look at he split. So now we had books, we had speaking, we had training, and it was, and it was, and it was great fun. The, the last part um, that we've done in the last few years is uh, executive coaching because people right. would say, Hey, we love the training, but I, we've got to make sure our executives get it. And that's where our friendship with Marshall Goldsmith and the 100 coaches was just ridiculously helpful. Uh, we used Marshall's methodology and, and the whole bit. And I just did a coaching session this morning and it's so gratifying to see these great leaders. And you know, I, I'll share with you um, this leader I was coaching this morning. He said, you know, I've been doing what I do for a long time. I'm, you know, a very seasoned professional in this profession. And yet this is the first time that a company that I've been with has invested in me as a person, right? Not just to be a better leader, to also be a better person, ridiculously gratifying. So anyway, I've, I've been babbling long enough, but from, from the books to the speaking, to the training, to the consulting, and you know, now our, we, we're working on our 15th book. Adam, wow. we, we've sold 1.6 million copies or more. They're in 30 languages. We've presented in 45 different countries. And it's been a lot of hard work. I don't want to say, well, well how easy was this? It was a lot of hard work. Oh, and yet really gratifying. And we literally have friends and companies that we've um, affiliated with all over the world. And it's it's been just a ridiculously enjoyable journey. So thanks for asking. <laughs> well, this is a wonderful segue. Listen, I've managed to muster one book. And uh, I'm probably going to stop there to be fair, uh, Chester, <laughs> but I, I understand the journey. And, and I know you, you're being humble, but an enormous amount of hard work goes into that. And isn't it incredible that you're on to book number 15. And what I want to do is because we're really going to start to zone in on the two books that are behind you, Anxiety at Work and Leading with Gratitude. How did you end up starting to focus on those two issues, which are, wow, have they both in some ways been magnified by the pandemic? But how did you end up really passionately focusing on anxiety at work and leading with gratitude? Tell me a little bit about yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, they, they are really brothers of a different mother yeah. kind of thing, you know. <laughs> um, they're, um, we, we launched Leading with Gratitude in March of 2020. Yep. Uh, you know, Harper Business. Uh, our, our best-selling book by far is a book called The Carrot Principle. If, if people kind of know us, it's, it's probably from that yeah. seminal book. Well, we ended up leaving uh, O.C. Tanner, and so those books are owned by O.C. Tanner. Right. Um, and so The Carrot Principle, I think we wrote in 2007, and it was time for a refresh. You know, um, wonderful research and whatnot in there, and we thought, you know, it's time to – really up our game on that with what we've learned over the last 10 years and so on. And so we, we landed on leading with gratitude and in there are eight strategies of how you see what people are doing and then how you express that, that gratitude. Well, it was really funny. So we launched it March 3rd um, of 2020. Yep. And we had this massive airport campaign. It was brilliant. And we had all these, you know, set up and say, buy this book, it'll knock your socks off. And then we had this really cool pair of gratitude socks that matched, you know, the colors <laughs> in the cover. And it was, it was, it was really fun. Well, literally three weeks after we launched the book, uh, every airport in the world shut down. Oh, so, uh, you know, book 
people that worked at bookstores and airports, I know they all have our socks because there was nothing else they could do with them, right? And, um, and, and that made the Wall Street Journal bestseller list was selling great and doing really well. And then the world shut down. And of course, all our speaking engagements were, yeah, all gone. were canceled. We tried to figure out, you know, that was the early days of how do you do virtual and, and on and on. Well, Harper loved the book and um, knew that, you know, it's, it was, it was going to be an evergreen book. It was now it's a long play. Right. And they went to Adrian and said, what else are you guys working on? Well, Adrian's son, uh, Anthony, is a co-author on our book, Anxiety at Work. We'd always been Gostick and Elton, like Lennon and McCartney was kind of the goal, right? <laughs> right. This close. <laughs> ben and Jerry. You are the Ben and Jerry of the author world. <laughs> yeah, maybe more Abbott and Costello. But the point is, is that um, he is a brilliant young man. You know, he's in his uh, mid-20s. He's studying at... Uh, USC and yep. uh, stem cell research and genome mapping. And wow. like a really smart kid. Suffered from anxiety basically his whole life since he was probably about six, seven years old. And he would came to us and said, do you guys ever think about writing about mental health and anxiety in particular? Go, oh, no, that's not. No, we don't. We don't. We don't talk about Bruno. You know, we don't talk about that. Yeah. Our generation was, you know, suck it up and yeah. some dirt on it and turn that Stiff upside down. upper lip. Exactly. Exactly. And he said, well, you're missing the boat because my generation, it's all we talk about. Right. So we said, well, we got a lot of time on our hands all of a sudden. <laughs> you know, let's take a deep dive. Now, remember, eight strategies on leading with gratitude. Yes. Seeing and expressing. As we started to take a deep dive into anxiety at work, what we realized is one of the key strategies to deal with anxiety is to get into that gratitude mode to take a step back and say, look, I know things appear to be pretty bad. And yet look at all the wonderful things I have in my life. The people that love me, that care for me, the, the food I get to eat. I mean, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so the eighth strategy is how to use gratitude to tamp down anxiety. You, you can't hold two emotions simultaneously. You can't be in a state of anxiety in a state of gratitude. Right. At the same time. So that's where the marriage came in. And as we've been asked to speak and so on, particularly about anxiety, it's, it is like the number one or 1A issue in most companies right now. Uh, we, always, we always end on a very positive note, which is how to lead with gratitude. And so the, the two really are a pair and, and mesh beautifully. Gotcha. Which is why I wanted us to have this conversation on this episode. So let's just zone in a little bit on the anxiety piece, because as you say, it is a real number one for leaders and their organizations at the moment. And I heard the term, which I hadn't heard before, actually, Chester, someone said, uh, well-being leadership, you know, that real ability now to look after yourself, be kind to yourself, cut yourself some slack, but also truly understand some of the challenges of those that you lead and beyond. So, you know, what's front of mind for you for some of the kind of the top advice that you would offer leaders in relation to anxiety at work uh, understanding it recognizing it mitigating it i don't know help help us where would you go what, kind of first yeah well we're a big fan uh, and we learned this by the way from scott o'neill yeah uh, so appropriate that we should bring him back to the conversation um we're big fans of the rule of three right that if you're going to do something you know don't get more than three people oh, i love that yeah we were working with a, a company out in california and they had 12 core values that's it. Look, there lies the problem. 
Yeah, you've actually got zero core values. And by the yeah. way, Moses only had 10 and people can't remember those either. So this idea of when you're dealing as, as a leader and you know that you've got anxious people in the world. And by the way, let me just give you a couple of numbers to yeah. build up. No, please. So pre-pandemic, about 18% of employees said that they had some kind of anxiety disorder. Wow. Now, that's not just anxiety. That's a disorder. That means it's keeping you from doing your job. So about one in five. Okay. End of 2020, middle of the pandemic, right? Uh, that jumped to 30%. Wow. Now, that's a big jump, right? So then we broke it down again with our help from Anthony Gostig, right? Is there, is there some generational differences? Absolutely. In employees in their 20s and early 30s, yep. that jumps to 42%. Wow. Now, you're getting close to half, right? I'm writing these down, Chester, as well. Yes, yes. And, and, and by the way, we're talking about an anxiety disorder. It's impacting their work. Right. So we said, wow, that's really interesting. Then we took a look and said, look, 50% of millennials and 75% of Gen Z, as they say in the States, but you would say Gen Z, yep. sounds way cooler, by the way, um, have left a job due to uh, mental health uh, or well-being. Right. We said, well, those are huge numbers. So why are they leaving? And this gets to the point is 90% of employees do not feel safe talking to their manager or supervisor about mental health. 90%. So only wow. one in 10 have a good enough relationship at work to say, I'm burning out. I'm overloaded. I have trouble. Now, put that in perspective. They won't talk about mental health. It's, it, it, it's disabling, right? If you had 40% of your employees, 42% of your employees in their early 20s or mid-20s and early 30s showing up at work with a broken leg, would you talk about it? Of course you would. You'd be all over it. What's with the broken legs? What do we, is, how unsafe is our workplace that 42% of our young workers are breaking their legs, right? Yeah, when you put We'd it like that. So why don't we talk about it? Well, it's the stigma. There's still a huge stigma on mental health that if I broke my leg and said, look, I need a week after rehab, we'd say, absolutely, take care of yourself. Come back when you're well. Here's the rehab numbers. Here's, here's the insurance. Here's how all it And we can see it as well. I know that sounds crass in some ways, but it's, incredibly evident i don't think that's crass at all the visual there helps yeah i mean there's a cast yeah. <laughs> you know that's that's a pretty pretty impre impressionable visual yeah. right so so what we what we talk to leaders about is we say look um first off you've got to normalize the conversation so now we're in our rule of three what are three things you can do yeah you got to normalize the conversation being anxious it's a human condition you know, we speak at conferences and we say, raise your hand if you've never been anxious at work. Well, if somebody raises their hand, you know one thing immediately, they're not being truthful. No. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> liar, you know, Monty Python, liar, no, um, Princess Pride, liar, yeah. liar. So it's, it's, a norm, it's normal to feel anxious. Now, when it gets too anxious and it gets debilitating, that's where you've got to say, look, I've got to destigmatize this. Right. I've got to say, look, this, this, this is just like a broken leg. We need to take care of this. It was really interesting. We've got a wonderful podcast, by the way, called Anxiety at Work. You should check it out. And we bring in business leaders that have dealt with anxiety. We bring in counselors and, and doctors yep. and so on. We had this 
really ridiculous, in, ridiculously engaging uh, podcast. The guy's job was dealing with uh, first responders up in Boston. Okay. Grew up in Montreal, living in Boston. And, and one of the things they dealt with when, with anxiety was addiction, right? So he said, you know, it's so interesting that you get depressed, you get overwhelmed, you get anxious, you get injured, and you start taking a lot of medications. And so very, very common in police officers and firefighters and, and on and on, right? And he said, it's so interesting that people will say, well, I, I don't understand addiction. I don't know. And he said, everybody's got an addiction. He said, I don't have an addiction. He goes, really? Give me your phone for two weeks. <laughs> exactly. Give me, give me your phone for two weeks to tell me you're not addicted. Well, it's the same thing with anxiety and mental health. And he says, you know, we go in, what, at least once a year, twice a year for a physical. And the companies will pay for that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, preventive. Go in, get your physical, you know, do the colonoscopy, do all that stuff. He said, we've got to get to the point where we say, do a mental check-in. Whether you're feeling great or not, at least a couple times a year, you should check in with the mental health professional. And yet, if we do that, especially young workers new to the workforce, they say, yeah, but if I say that, they're going to think I'm weak. Yeah, that's the problem, isn't it? I, I won't get the promotion. I won't get the raise. I won't get that. It's the vulnerability assignment. associated with it as well. Yeah. Oh, you know, Adam, I told you this was going to be a high pressure job. Are you, are you telling me you, you can't hack it? Is that what you're telling me? That you're not the person I thought you were? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's not a great, okay. it's not a great coaching conversation, is it? When uh, <laughs> you say that happens, yeah. and so what do you do? You quit, of course. And and you say why? Oh, I got a better, better offer. I mean, you lie, right? <laughs> By the way, and, and we lie about a lot of things when we leave a job. You know, they, those exit interviews. I always love those. Nobody believes they're confidential. Why are you leaving the job? Oh, I got a, I got a better offer. When the real answer is, I hate my boss's guts. <laughs> That's really what I hate the me. job. Yeah, I hate my boss uh, and I, yeah. everything else about it, I hate. Yeah, yeah. I hate the way you treat me. I hope you all die slow and painful deaths. Yeah. You know, no one says that. They think it. Like the, the word bubble, you know what you say, yeah. what you think. Oh, it's like, there's a comedy so, there. Yeah, exactly. So, so you've got first normalize the conversation, then destigmatize it. Now, number three is the key. And I will tell you that if five years ago, now Adrian and I have been writing together for 22 years. Yeah. This would be 23, which is ridiculous, right? A, a that we could stay friends for that long. <laughs> it's a resilient partnership, Chester. It, it is. And I think it helps that we live like 4,000 miles apart. <laughs> uh, that, that, that probably didn't hurt. Um, is that um, you take a look and you say, what were the characteristics of great leaders five years ago? Right. And we say, oh, communicator, visionary, motivator, you know, vulnerable. I mean, it gets people to follow her. Yeah. She's, you know, she's the iconic leader. Well, now, and the pandemic obviously has shone a light not only on mental health, on leadership, right? If you don't have this one characteristic as a leader, you will fail. Okay. And I know that's a grand statement. And that characteristic is empathy. If you are not an empathetic leader, if your people don't believe that you really do care about them, yes. and when I mean them, not just their careers, as them people, as and families and their kids, you you will not retain great people, and you have no shot at attracting great talent. Isn't that fascinating? It is, and Chester it reminds me because I always say to people, people say, "Why are you so passionate about leadership?" And I remember, 
And I don't know what I've told you this. You know, I had an amazing mentor who was a Floridian trial lawyer who unfortunately passed away too young. And when I got my first legal leader role, he said, remember this. He said, the children of the people you lead will know your name in what context is up to you. And I've oh, wow. always I've always loved that. And it, I put it in the book and I, I, I lead with that on many occasions because I think that just makes it deeply personal. Because haven't we all spoken our boss's name in front of our kids at some point? And perhaps that wasn't in the most flattering context. And it is now deeply personal. Do you see me? Do you hear me? Do you understand me? Have you got my back? Those are so important now. I think they always were, Chester, but I think they've been magnified or... Uh, there's been a hyper increase in them through the pandemic. I think you're spot on. Absolutely. Uh, because we went virtual and, and we were in each other's homes and you could put on a happy face yeah. right, <laughs> while the zoom camera was on and so on. And yet we were disconnected as well. Yeah. You know, we, we relied a lot on the work of uh, the wonderful Brene Brown. Yes. A professor from the University of Houston, Go Cougars. And um, she talked about the difference between sympathy and empathy. Right. And it's a very important distinction. You know, sympathy is, I'm strong, you're weak. Let me solve that problem for you. Empathy is, I know that feeling and you climb down to where they are and you say, look, we can figure this out together. You shine some light, yeah. right? You say, look, I don't know exactly what you're going through. I know that feeling. And the big message is you're not alone. We can figure this out. And it's so interesting when we talk to leaders about normalize, destigmatize and empathize, they go, yeah, you know, I'm not a certified counselor. I, I can't prescribe medication. You know, they go on and on. And I said, you know what? Your people know that. I mean, when you have finally built a level of what Adrian and I like to call not just psychological safety, emotional safety. Right. Where they can talk to you about something that's terrifying to them that they think may end their careers on mental health and anxiety. They know you're not a clinician. They know you don't have a PhD in counseling. They want you to do one thing and one thing only. And if I were to ask you, Adam, what that one thing is, what would that be? Oh, I don't know, Chester. You're going to have to help me. <laughs> listen. They just want you to listen. Gotcha. Yeah. And we can all do that. It's so interesting. And the numbers prove it out, you know, that managers that listen, where employees feel like they can go to the problem really and they listen. will listen. Yeah are much less likely to quit, much less likely to even take sick time and so on, right? And we talk about that in the book, Anxiety at Work. Yep. You've got an ally. Allyship is one of the eight strategies. Who can you go to at work that's got your back? I was just on a wonderful um, virtual conference by HR leaders out of London. Okay. Not too far from you. Uh, Chris Rainey and, and Shane Kemp. If you have a chance, all, all their um, conferences are free. They're all sponsored, so they're all free. And I was on this panel about mental health in the workplace. And there's a, a healthcare group here in the States called uh, Banner Health. Right. Do you know what they do? And this is so genius. They have, and now it's, you know, healthcare and hospitals and so on. They have a healthcare professional on site 24-7. That if you're just freaking out for whatever reason, 
you know, your child's in the ER or, you know, didn't get yeah. accepted to the college that they wanted to go to or what, you know, whatever it is, you can go sit down with this counselor for 30 minutes or an hour and get some really good help. And then, you know, what are the next steps? If there need to be any next steps, think about that. A company that would invest uh, for a 24 seven death and a mental health counselor on site for you anytime That's you incredible, need it. Isn't it. What, what an amazing message that sends. But certainly that, yeah, not the norm. You. Certainly not the norm or not, not, not yet, Chester. That's right. the big issue. So that one gesture, do you think that helped normalize the conversation? You bet. Destigmatize without question and empathize. Oh my gosh. My company really does care about me. We, when we chatted earlier in the week, you mentioned a phrase to me, anti-fragile, remember? Oh, yeah. That's and, a great and, and I want to just, I want to ask you just to talk a little bit about anti-fragile, because you asked me a question, uh, which I got wrong, but you asked <laughs> about, are, are we as humans fragile or anti-fragile? And like maybe with too much of my policing head on, I said we were fragile. But what did you say? Tell us, tell us again, tell the listeners what you were saying in relation to anti-fragile. Yeah, I, I want to give Dr. Uh, Paige Williams a shout out for this because this okay. is where the, the whole idea came yeah. from. And she's out of Australia. Is that we are actually built to be anti-fragile. And, and the key is we don't believe that anymore. I think we did in previous generations, right? And, and here's the thing. She said, you know, there are some things that are built to be fragile. Fine china, crystal. Yeah. You drop it, it shatters. Other things are anti-fragile, like your muscles, you know, and you would know this as a world-class tennis player. Bless you. Is that, <laughs> is that if you don't stress your muscles, they atrophy and you lose them. Yeah. So she said, as, as humans, are we built to be fragile or anti-fragile? And it's so interesting, is particularly when you talk to young people, they say, well, I think physically we're built to be fairly resilient. Mentally, though, I think we're very fragile. Yeah. And the answer is, no, you're not. No, you're not. And, and, and I love this exercise. Um, and this, this I, I have to give myself credit. I came for this on my own, which I love. If I asked you, Adam, to write down three people that you uh, really revere and respect, and you've got those three names in your head. Yes. Okay. My guess is that you respect them and honor them with your reverence because they overcame trials and tribulations and hard times. That's very right? true. Yeah, it's very true. Yeah. Nobody puts on the list. You know what? She was amazing because she never had anything go wrong ever her entire life. She sailed through yeah. life. You got to admire that. No, nobody admires Nothing that. Nothing touched the sides. <laughs> right. Teflon. Right? Yeah. We look at like Nelson Mandela. Did he have an easy life? Yeah. No, of course he didn't. You know, people, uh, you know, here in the States, they point to like Abraham Lincoln and George Washington. Easy lives? No. You know, on the religious side, they say, well, I just, you know, uh, the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, you go, easy life? I don't think so. <laughs> you know, ended really badly. By yeah, the way. it didn't I mean, end I, great. I'm a, I, I'm a devout Christian, you know, and I will tell you that that is not the way I want to go out. <laughs> you know, if, if I have my choice, crucifixion is not no, on the it's, list. No, it's right? not on the list. So, so you say we, we love them, you know, Buddha, Muhammad. I mean, go down the list, right? Adversity. Exactly. And that's the refiner's fire. 
And she makes the point, she says, look, when you hit hard times, and this plays very much into the anxiety piece, right? When people have real hard times, they generally react in three ways. I'm not sure if this was actually uh, Dr. Page or, or part of this yep. um, roundtable, is that the first reaction for a lot of us is uh, denial, blame, anger, and depression. Why is this happening to me? I don't deserve this. By the way, not my fault. Yep. <laughs> That's always a good go-to, right? Uh, the second way is uh, I'm just going to get it out. I'm, I'm in survival mode. Well, when the going and gets tough, the tough gets going. Well, not even that. It's, it's almost like I'm just going to just, you know, survive the day. And if I can survive tomorrow and I survive enough tomorrows, yeah. maybe there's light at the end of the tunnel. She said the third one is really what we're built for. And we've kind of bred it out of ourselves. And I'll explain how that works is that we should say, look, this is what's going to make me who I want to be. What am I learning from this? How is this making me stronger? Exercising that muscle, right? And she said, literally, we are built to be anti-fragile. We've convinced ourselves we're fragile. Right. Because we hover over our kids. We don't let them fall down. We don't let them get dirty. We don't let them fail. And we've got these digital lives that are just fabulous. Every vacation on Facebook is unbelievable. And our kids are all beautiful and smart. And they speak seven languages before they're six. And, you know, no one just graduates from high school in the United States. They graduate with extra credits and they're juniors. And, you know, they've, they've bought and sold their first company before they're 20. And it's just, it's just ridiculous and, and absolutely unattainable. Right. And so she's convinced that the reason that addiction, depression, anxiety, and even teen suicide yeah. is up because we've convinced our kids that they have to be perfect. That's a whole chapter in anxiety at work. Right. Perfectionism. Yeah. It, it is literally a killer. And by the way, it gets in the way of any kind of productivity. Right. Everything has to be perfect. I'll do it again and again and again and again and again. You know, stop. You know, so we, we, we coach leaders, we say, look, make sure you tell them, you give somebody an assignment, tell them what, what's good enough. Like, hey, I just need like a one-sheeter. I don't need 95 PowerPoint slides with animation and videos. Just, just give, me, give me six bullet points. That's all I need, right? Because in the absence of that, particularly, you know, in younger generations, and not solely there, clearly, is people go, my job, I've got to, I've got to, be perfect every day. I've got to get every promotion. I've got to get every raise. And it's completely unrealistic. You know, I think um, athletes understand this a little better. Right. Um, you know, if you're, if you're a skier, for example, or snowboarder, what's the expression? If you're not falling, you're not skiing. Yeah, you're not learning. Right. right. Tennis, you know, you and I are big tennis fans. There was a fabulous study was done on the top 100 tennis players. And of course, the top 10, after the top 10, the prize money falls off a cliff. I know. Right. <laughs> and yet the ability of the number one player in the world and the number 100 player in the world is fractional. Yes. So they did a study and they said, so what's the difference? If, if physically and talent-wise, it's basically even. What's the difference? And they said, listen to this. It was self-talk. Self-talk. They went yeah. to... Um, um, the so American true. tennis player, his name, um, um, ah, the youngest uh, uh, U.S. Open winner. Anyway, Pete Sampras. There it is, right. Pete Sampras. Yep. They went to Pete Sampras and they said, what is your inner voice when it's like break point or mm -hmm. match point? You know, against you. The dialogue. 
Exactly. He said, my go-to is all is well. All is well. It calms me right down. Because you know, in tennis, you have to hit loose. If you tense up, that's when it goes in the yeah, net that's or it all goes over. long or it goes but, wide. Yeah. But that inner game of tennis, of which there's a, I think there's a very famous book, is so important generally for life about that inner critic, the, in, in the inner demon, the trash talk, where actually the, your biggest critic is yourself. And, and then it's all over. Then you can forget high performance because you're too busy dealing with the demon or the, the inner critic. Yes. And, and I've got a little thought for you on that in, in just a second. But so as, you, as these top 10, they all had mantras. All is well. It'll be okay. Right? There was one exception to the rule. Okay. <laughs> it was one top tennis player whose negative talk actually made him play better. Name that tennis well, player. Well, it's got to be McEnroe. <laughs> Absolutely, it's John McEnroe. It's a, it's a no-brainer. You never win that bet. You know, you never win that bet. The point is, there's 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 always going to be an outlier. Yeah. The idea of this inner talk, right, to to calm down anxiety, to calm you down, and it was really interesting. Like you said, we're our own self-critic. There's a wonderful way to break that pattern. Okay. And it's this: What would your best friend say to you in that moment? Because we say things to ourselves that we would never say to our best friends or really anybody we're we're harsher on ourselves than anybody so what would your best friend tell you in that moment and then the goal is what to make your inner voice your best friend right isn't that beautiful i do love that this is why i love this podcast you know what i have experiences like this which is why i end up feverishly writing and then trying to talk mildly knowledgeable. Well, I said, yes, I've just had this wonderful conversation with Chester. Do you know what he said to me? So I, I do try and, and, and share the wisdom. Um, I, I digress slightly. It just reminded me, when we talk about sport, we talk about leadership, we talk about life, and we talked about this anxiety, a lot of organisations still talk about, oh, we're not very good at experimentation, oh, we're not very good at failure, oh, we don't like the word failure. But you had a wonderful story, didn't you, about an organization that actually was embraced failure. And I'm going to ask you now, you've got to get your WD-40 WD can <laughs> out now, right? So let me just get the, <laughs> the There it is. That's, so just get a WD-40 can out. Tell us the WD-40 story, because I think it's a lovely story in relation to an approach towards mistakes. Thank you. I'm a huge Gary Ridge fan. He's the CEO of WD-40. Just a lovely Aussie living in San Diego. Took WD-40 from like $250 million North American brand to a global brand of, I think they're almost at- Everyone's got a can of WD-40, Chester. Absolutely. I think like $4 billion now. Anyway, the whole idea is WD-40 stands for water displacement, 40th formula. So they have a philosophy and they call it a tribal culture. And I love that. He says a tribe is different than a team or, a, you know, we're not teammates or associates. We're, we're, we're tribe members. And yeah. We look out for each other. We, we celebrate together. We defend each other and so on. And so he says, we don't make mistakes at WD-40. We have learning moments. So think about how safe that is to experiment. Yeah. Now he says, we don't want you making the same mistake <laughs> over and again, over and over again. again. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's, you know, that's, that's not acceptable. And even at their headquarters, which they call the TP, which I love, they have steps going up. And in each step is, you know, one of the mistakes, one of the learning moments. Learning right? moments, yes. That that brought them to WD-40. 
and it's 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 beyond brilliant. I mean, you know, the the value of that company for the number of employees is like a high tech yeah. firm. And many people think, well, WD forty is not its own company. Certainly, it's owned by a bigger conglomerate. No, no, it's WD forty, and and they have a wonderful storytelling culture. I shared it with you when we were talking um, last week. It's so interesting. There's this, and, and I, I should have, and I need to remember the names and all the good stuff. But uh, uh, you know, a church in England, uh, wonderful old stone church, and the big clock, you know, had frozen it. 10 past two or whatever it is for like 15 years. So finally the town says, look, we need to fix the clock. And they, they bring a bunch of guys in and they're clock experts and they get estimates for 50,000 pounds and 70,000 pounds. So they're kind of mulling, like how could we raise the money and whatnot? And then the, the guy that services the bell, cause you could manually ring the bell yep. for church and whatnot. He and his son go up and they're, you know, servicing the bell and whatever bells need. And, they said, well, we'd heard about the clock. And of course, the clock is up in the same tower as the bell, right? They said, well, we can't do any more damage than's already been done. It's been broken for 14 years. Nothing to lose. So, yeah. So they open it up and like there's a bunch of dead birds in there and stuff. And they cleaned it all out. And they're looking at the ball bearings and stuff. And the father says, those ball bearings look kind of dry. Have we got some WD-40? <laughs> the kid goes, yeah. So the, the can costs like five pounds or something. So they just soak this things, the wheels and the gyros and the gears and whatnot, and then all the ball bearings yeah. in WD-40. And I'll be damned, the clock starts up. <laughs> and it's perfect. All it needed was a little TLC, right? And so a bit of WD-40 TLC. WD oh, yeah. my God. I do love so, that story. So what's the lesson, right? Great story. So what's the lesson? The lesson is, look, um, it's the failures. It's the mistakes. It's that builds the muscles, that builds the resilience, that builds character. And we should never look at it as we made a mistake and it needs to be punished. It's a mistake. What did we learn? Yeah. How are we going to move forward? And we, we do it too much with our children. I think we, yeah. we, we're overprotective. Let them fall. Let them skin their knees. Let them fall off the monkey bars. You know, your first job is not going to be the job you're going to have for the rest of your life in, you know, 99 out of a hundred cases. So understand that, look, you're going to experiment. And some stuff's going to work and some stuff isn't going to work. And you know what? That's okay. In yeah. fact, that's great. That's great. You're going to learn and you're going to move on. We're experimenting all the time with virtual presentations. I was just talking to my co-author Adrian this morning. He said, hey, we're doing this free gig. And so I thought, hey, this is a great place to experiment because, you know, we're giving it to him for free anyway. And we recorded it and we had some video production and stuff. And it's, I said, look, I'm going to send it to you. It's really pretty rough. The thing is, is when you watch it, you'll say, hey, this is the start of something. Yeah, it's a yes and. Exactly. It's not a no but, it's a yes yeah. and. And I love that exercise. Oh, uh, now I really could talk to you for ages. <laughs> I'm laughing. <laughs> Let's be let me let me move on to and I know we're only we're only touching the surface on many of these things. And I'm gonna ask you in a moment how people can get in touch and get hold of the book. Gratitude. Talk to me about gratitude, because I'm aware of the power of gratitude. So again, what is front of mind for you for leaders right now for, for themselves and for the people that they lead in relation just to the power of gratitude? And as you say, we can't, we can't sit in anxiety and gratitude at the same time. So gratitude sounds like it might be a powerful antidote to anxiety. Tell us a little bit about that, Chester. Yeah, more than an antidote, I think, is, is a discipline. Right. 
Uh, you know, uh, leaders all the time, they'll say, hey, Chester, I, I love your stories and stuff. Those are soft skills. And we're doing hard stuff. I need hard skills. And they go, look, you can understand it. When you get the soft skills right, the hard stuff gets easier. Yeah. Because you're engaging not just people's minds, you're engaging their hearts and minds. And it's a discipline. Uh, Marshall gave me a great gift when he said, you know, as you're coaching leaders and as you lead, understand that you will say things to people that you will never remember that they will never forget. So this idea of, and, and I know this sounds like what your mom and dad taught you when you were five years old. And by the way, it's still very relevant, relevant, be kind, you know, be generous, clean up after yourself. Don't hit, don't push, don't bite. I mean, still good advice, right? Still good advice. Especially the biting part. Yeah. So you say, look, it costs you nothing to be kind. When you go into a place, are you really quick to point out everything that's going wrong and slow to point out what's going right? We have a wonderful leader that we studied called Carlos Aguilera. And early in his career, when they did his 360 assessment, his, his direct reports called him a seagull manager. Seagull. heard that expression? Seagull. Did he just yeah. poop on things from up above? Yeah, they swoop in, crap all over everything, yeah. and swoop out. Right, okay. Right? It's kind of not a good brand. That's not, yeah, I don't want that stuck in my brand, right? Yeah. So I said, you got to change that. So here comes the discipline piece. So he decided, yes, his mentor, wonderful guy, said, look, look for what's going right. So he puts 10 pennies in his left pocket every day, and he sets a goal to have 10 positive interactions. Okay. And he keeps track by moving a penny from his left pocket to his right pocket. Coins, whatever you want to do yeah, yeah. on your phone. That built up this bank of goodwill as you know Stephen Covey calls it so that when he had to have tough conversations people were open to his coaching because he wasn't there just to beat him up because right. he could right so what are, what are those rituals um handwritten thank you notes we've got leaders that are, are big and i know it's old school i'm telling you a handwritten note shows it's very up. It personal though chester i find a handwritten Absolutely. note is so personal and you say, is it timely? Well, it's always timely because I take the time to open it and read it. Yeah. And it's an uninterrupted conversation, right? Um, texts to friends, sending a little, you know, Gary Ridge sends me a, a great little little visual every day. And he's, I know he's sending to, I, I don't know, I'm guessing hundreds of people. Today's was, was really funny. It was this picture of a dog that kind of looks like he's smiling, you know, and, and there's a sign around the dog's neck that says, be the person your dog thinks you are. <laughs> now, you know, and it's just a little laugh, and I'm like, that's my buddy. That's yeah. that's Gary, right? Those those little touches. I've, I've got a ritual that I, I've gotten a real kick out of lately, and Go I'll on. share it with you. So I keep these little gratitude stones in my pocket. Okay. It's, it's a little stone. It's a little polished stone. It's etched gratitude. Now, you can get these on Amazon. I buy them by the hundreds now. <laughs> The and, and there's other ones that there's none me. left, Chester. You've got them all. <laughs> yeah. I tell my, they go, where'd you get that? I said, well, what you do is you get these stones and you put them in these polisher things. And then you very carefully etch gratitude. And then you fill it in with gold leaf. And the guy says, is that what you do? I said, oh no, it's like three clicks on Amazon. They yeah. send me a hundred. Right? Make, make it easy on yourself. My point is this. When I see people that are just doing their jobs and yet doing it well, yeah, I'll pull it out and I'll go up. For example, I was at a hockey game last night. And it was raining. It was miserable. And we lost, added to the misery. And I'm coming across the Lafayette, which is the main street there to my, where my car's parked. And there's a, a traffic uh, officer there. And it's raining and she's all bundled up and everything. Yeah. But, hey, it's miserable. And I thought, you know, she's there every time. 
So I stopped and I went back and I said, excuse me, officer. I just want to let you know that I really appreciate the fact you show up every time. Yeah. I come across the street all the time again, and I've never been run over <laughs> and it's your fault. Right. So I said, I've got this little gift for you. It's a little gratitude stone, just a little expression for me to you to, to say, thank you. And I hope it brings you good luck. I got to tell you, you think I've given her a Fabergé egg. Really? And you know, she's going to put it in your pocket and hopefully she'll share with friends and so on. Wow. It's that discipline, the handwritten notes, the little texts, the little, you know, emails that you send. Um, the kind word, boy, I saw what you did with that customer. You know, I love coming into your story. It's always spick and span. Just love it. Those little disciplines. Now, here's what's really great. We end our book with leading with gratitude. And I'm guessing we're about to end this podcast because we've been talking a long time. <laughs> Is that... These principles work in the workplace. Adrian and I, we have a database of over a million engagement surveys. Right. All the interviews wow. we've done in case studies. We've got a mass, you might guess over 22 years, we've got a massive, you know, body of research. And we tell people this all the time. Look, we are not family counselors. We are not marriage counselors. We are executive coaches, right? Let me tell you this. You take these principles and you apply them to your personal life. It works there too. Like literally we, um, we go in and say, take that little ritual and apply it to your marriage, to your kids, to your family. What are your gratitude moments? We have a friend that, um, at dinner, he asks his kids three questions. Oh, I said, love this. You've got to share this. Yes. Yeah, now now let's get, now let's, uh, this, this is good. So let's go through those three questions because this is, I think this is a real, well, anyone can do this at home and just see what happens. Yeah. So my friend is Dave Kirpin is his name. And he said, we'd have dinner with our kids as often as we could. And we'd always ask him, how was school? Yep. And they'd say, fine. What did you learn? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we've all had this conversation. So he said, so we changed it up. I said, yeah. look, you got to answer three questions. First one is, what was the best part of your day? Second question, who are you grateful for who's not at the table? And three, who are you grateful for who's at the table who hasn't been thanked yet? Yeah. And he said it changed everything. At first, they're like, oh, dad, you're always doing it. No, let's listen. You know, celebrate your day. Celebrate a friend. Celebrate the family. And it's a lovely practice. When was the last time you may have written thank you notes to your suppliers or your customers? When was the last time you wrote a thank you note to your kid yeah. or a teacher or a coach or your spouse? Do, Great do you know, principles for, for your personal life. It's in, and there's even it's little things, isn't it? Because sometimes the other day, actually, I had a copy of my book and I gave it to someone. And what is the first thing? You know better than I do, Chester. You give a copy of your book to someone. What is the first thing that they say to you? Will you sign it? Or have you signed it? That little yeah. personal note, always personal, handwritten note to them, their name with whatever message signed by you. It's without fail the single question that is asked by every single person. And I wonder there's something there, isn't there, about there's grateful for, thank you for the gift, but it's also personal. You're giving it to me, written to me, signed by yeah. you. I don't know. There's something there, isn't there? That personal touch. You know, I, I had a really funny interaction. I was at a, a conference. And, of course, you've got the people that do all the work, you know, that set up the tables and yeah. make sure everybody's got their badges and so on. So we were wrapping up and uh, one of them said, oh, uh, there was some extra books. And so I, I got one. Would you sign it for right. me? I said, sure. And she said, will you sign it like we're best friends? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we just met. So I, you know, I put the date and everything and I said, you know, uh, to, to Sarah, 
you are the wind beneath my wings. <laughs> and, and we all had a good laugh. And she says, I'm going to show this to my friends. This is going to be so great. So you mean Chester were tight, you know? So you're right. There's something about the work of the hand, that, that handwritten that the you took the time, the personal touch that makes all the difference. So we always wrap up, you know, with every podcast we do, with every speech we give, with every book we write, is that gratitude is that red thread, you know, through every great culture that we've studied, every great team, every great leader, that red thread of gratitude was always there. And so we always say, look, leading with gratitude, we can prove it to you statistically. It's a better way to lead. It's also, by the way, a better way to live. Yeah. Don't miss out on that. I love this. Chester, I have loved this episode, and I'm going to thank Scott when I next see him, or you thank him when you next see him at at a hockey match. (laughs) And I feel I've got a new friend as well. So I, I just want to be grateful to you for that. And we really could have gone on and on. And, and I think we're going to have to do a, another episode at some point and, and continue the conversation. Um, how can people get in touch so they can continue the conversation and, and know more? You tell us, best way. Yeah, thanks for that. Our, our books are available on Amazon and everywhere fine books are sold. Yep. Uh, follow us on LinkedIn. I have a wonderful LinkedIn following. You do. Um, we have a, a twice a month, we publish a LinkedIn newsletter called the, the Gratitude Journal. I saw that, yeah. Yeah, we have over 130,000 subscribers. It's really been lovely that all the feedback. Uh, please subscribe to that. Our podcast, I mentioned it earlier, Anxiety at Work. And we, we also have an anxiety community. It's called we thrive together.global. We thrive together. We together.global. Gotcha. Okay. Yes. Dot com was taken. So it was just dot global. <laughs> and it's a safe place to talk about anxiety. Adrian and I, a couple times a month, we do a, a great little segment on ways you can uh, deal with mental health and anxiety in the workplace. It's a wonderful community. So look for us on Amazon, LinkedIn, sign up for our newsletter and, and look for our podcast. The last place where we put everything is thecultureworks.com. That's our our uh, our base. Gotcha. So lots of places to find us. I hope you do. Multiple and, roads. Uh, if if we can be of service, please. We're we're passionate about leading with gratitude and bringing kindness back into the workplace. And none of that matters if your people are anxious. It is the number one issue, and we can help you deal with that as well. Well, this is certainly uh, an episode packed full of nuggets. I'm not even sure where I'm going to start in trying to describe the wonder of, of this episode. <laughs> Chester, I hope, I hope you've enjoyed this experience. I know you do lots of podcasts and do lots of speaking engagements, so I hope this, is, this has been fun for you. It's, it's been a delight, Adam, and uh, we definitely have to go hit. Uh, one day uh, and uh, you're more than welcome to come visit us at Indian oh I'm, I'm i'm on my it's way let me tell tradition. you <laughs> yeah we, we we go every year so you know tag well, along It'd be it, great. if people wonder what we're talking about we're talking about the indian wells tennis tournament where we're uh we're gonna watch some tennis without a shadow Absolutely. of a doubt chester you've been an absolute star thank you for being amazing my pleasure cheers join us again next week for more tips and strategies on the leadership enigma We'd love to hear your comments on today's show, as well as suggestions for future topics and guests. Get in touch with your host on LinkedIn or our YouTube channel. And remember to get your daily learning to build success at www.insights.emeritus.org. Download the Insights app and start learning for free. Please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe on all your major podcast platforms. 
Thanks for listening.